Isaiah chapter 43 is the scripture reading this morning in connection with Lord's Day 47 of the Heidelberg Catechism. After an extended break, we get back to uh, studying the, the scripture through the lens of the Catechism. Lord's Day 47, we read Isaiah 43 because Isaiah 43 is all about the hallowing of God's name. So as we read that, think about that. Isaiah 43. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters... I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, Thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee, and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east, and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far, and my daughters from the ends of the earth, even everyone that is called by my name. For I have created him for my glory. I have formed him. Yea, I have made him. Bring forth the blind people that have eyes and the deaf that have ears. Let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses that they may be justified. Or let them hear and say, it is truth. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and have saved, and I have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Their, their very existence as God's people and, and what he has done for them shows that he is God alone. Yea, before the day was, I am he. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall let it? Who will prevent it? Who will come in, in my way? Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I have sent to Babylon, and have brought down all their nobles, and the Chaldeans, whose cry is in the ships. That is, they are arrogant. They, they boast in the ships. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea, and a path in the mighty waters, 
which bringeth forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinct. They are quenched as tow, as strands of a rope. Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beast of the field shall honor me. The dragons, or perhaps jackals like a coyote, the dragons and the owls, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. But thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob, but thou hast been weary of me, O Israel. Thou hast not brought me the small cattle of thy burnt offerings, neither hast thou honored me with thy sacrifices. I have not caused thee to serve with an offering, nor wearied thee with incense. Thou hast bought me no sweet cane with money, neither hast thou filled me with the fat of thy sacrifices, but thou hast made me to serve with thy sins. Thou hast wearied me with thine iniquities. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Argue with me. Thy first father hath sinned, and thy teachers have transgressed against me. Therefore I have profaned the princes of the sanctuary and have given Jacob to the curse and Israel to reproaches. And then it goes on in chapter 44, another word of encouragement, but that's, that's where the chapter ends. So far we read. It's on the basis of this passage of Scripture and on the basis of many passages that we have the teaching of Lord's Day 47 of the Catechism found on page 26 in the back of the Psalter. We are in the third section of the Catechism on thankfulness, how we are to show our thankfulness for the deliverance God has graciously given us in Christ. And we are looking at the Lord's Prayer because prayer is the chief part of expressing thankfulness. And here we are looking at the first petition. Hallowed, which is the first petition? Hallowed be thy name. That is, grant us first rightly to know thee and to sanctify glorify and praise thee in all thy works, in which thy power, wisdom, goodness, justice, mercy, and truth are clearly displayed. And further also, that we may so order and direct our whole lives, our thoughts, words, and actions, that thy name may never be blasphemed, but rather honored and praised on our account. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what would you say is your deepest need? What matters most to you? In your prayers, what stands front and center as the one thing you want in life? The one thing that you cannot live without. In your prayers this past week, what did your prayers look like? 
Maybe you were praying for your financial stresses to go away. Maybe you were praying for God to take away a heavy burden or trial in your life. Or maybe this past week your thoughts were occupied with a loved one who was in need of help. A loved one maybe you were worried about who's perhaps struggling with sin. And so you were praying for that. Maybe in this past week you prayed for your marriage. You heard last week's Sunday's sermon, husbands and fathers, and, and, and you say, my, my marriage needs to improve. Things need to change. And I need grace for these things. And so I was praying for these things. You ask God for grace. Maybe in this past week you were praying for your children, that they would have godly friends, that they would learn kindness, to put on kindness and put off anger, that they would be kept from falling into temptation. What matters most to you? Well, all these prayers are legitimate. All these prayers are appropriate. But all these prayers would be wrong if they were not prayed with the right motive. The question is, why ultimately do we make these prayers? What is our deepest concern? And in the end, what alone will satisfy our hearts? What are we seeking? What do we truly want? Well, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us what our foremost desire must be. Namely, that God's name be hallowed. That's the first petition. That's the first thing Jesus teaches us to pray. Jesus says, this is your greatest need. This is your foremost desire. And this will be what shapes, and it must be what shapes everything else in prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In a sense, if that's as far as you get in prayer, you've gotten far enough. In a sense, that's as far as you need to go because that's the one thing I want above everything else. Heavenly Father, order my life, order thy whole creation so that thy name is glorified. Work within me the grace, thy grace. Work within me thy Holy Spirit. Give me obedience to thy law. Give me the grace of contentment. Give me what is needed to fulfill my daily callings and responsibilities so that thy name is glorified. That's the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. And that's what we focus on this morning. We take as our theme, praying for the hallowing of God's name. And we look at three things. First, we look at the priority of this petition, something we have already emphasized. Second, we look at the content of this petition. And then third, we look at the motivation of this petition. In order to appreciate the priority of this first petition, let's take a broad look for a moment at the Lord's Prayer and notice the six petitions and their order and structure in the Lord's Prayer. I did this just in catechism this past year for the Heidelberg Catechism students, so hopefully this is a good reminder for you. First, there is the address of the Lord's Prayer. That's how we are to approach God in prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, approach Him with a childlike confidence and reverence. That's the address. But then there are six petitions that follow. And those six petitions can be divided into two groups. The first three petitions focus specifically on God. They revolve around God. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Notice especially the word thy, 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 thy. These three petitions are focusing on God. And then you have the last three petitions. And those last three petitions focus more specifically on us and our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Notice the word us. So there's a pretty clear distinction between the first three petitions and the second three petitions. And what we must remember is that when Jesus gives the disciples and gives us the Lord's Prayer, He's teaching them and us how to pray. And He's even teaching us then how to organize our petitions. And by making the first three petitions first, Jesus is teaching us that God and God's concerns must come before our own concerns, you know, for ourselves. This is the proper way to pray to God. I want His name to be hallowed. I want His kingdom to come. And I want His will to be done. And only after that, and in order to serve these petitions and these desires I have, I pray these other things. Give me this day my daily bread. Forgive my sins. Sanctify me. The second three petitions really flow out of a desire for the first three petitions. I want God to give me daily bread and forgive my sins, and sanctify me so that His name is hallowed, His kingdom comes more and more within me. I'm ruled by His Spirit. We'll look at that next time. And His will is done. That's how the Lord's Prayer is organized. Three petitions plus three petitions, with the second three serving the first three. But that's not the only way that the Lord's Prayer can be organized. These six petitions can also be organized another way. One plus five. Not just three plus three, but one plus five. And what I mean is this, even among the first three petitions, these three petitions are not created equal. But even among the first three petitions, the first petition is first. And the other two petitions are are in the service of that first petition. Thy kingdom come. Why? Because I want thy name to be hallowed. Thy will be done. Give me an obedient, well, that's part of it. Give me an obedient heart and do thy will with thy creation. Why? So that thy name is hallowed. The first petition takes priority. And when you pray, that's ultimately why you are moved to pray the second petition and the third petition and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth, so that God's name might be hallowed. So we have three plus three in the Lord's Prayer, but also one plus five. And the first petition has the priority, and all the others serve that first petition. Now, I think all this makes sense when we actually pause and we consider what the name of God actually is. The first petition has to do with God's name. And what is God's name? Well, God's name does not refer merely to the personal names of God, like the name Jehovah or Lord of Sabaoth or other names that God gives in His Word, Lord. But the name of God refers to all the truth about God. The name of God refers to the revelation of God, God revealing Himself to us. That's how we know Him, through His name, whether it's how He reveals Himself in creation or whether it's how He reveals Himself in Scripture or how He reveals Himself in Jesus Christ. He's revealing himself, that's his name, his revelation of himself. And so we know God through his names. And God has revealed himself and his name 
especially in and through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, we can say, is the name of God come in the flesh. When we pray this first petition, we are praying that God would hallow Himself, that He would hallow Jesus Christ and the name of Christ. To put it so another way, the name of God refers to all the works of God and the attributes of God, because that's how God reveals Himself to us, through His works and through the attributes that He puts on display for us. And we understand that. That makes sense, that that's how we know God, that's who God is, because we have a reflection of that even in our own lives. Just think about that. Who are you? Well, who you are is revealed in a very large extent through your works, through how you behave yourself. That's who you are. How do you behave yourself in your marriage? How do you behave yourself in business? How do you behave yourself in high school? How do you behave yourself in your dating relationships? How you behave yourself shows who you really are to a large extent. And that's how it is with God, perfectly. Because God is always acting perfectly consistently with who He is. God reveals who He is through His works. And that is His name. This is how we know God, in His works. His name is known. And in this first petition then, we are asking, God, Father, hallow Thy name. Hallowed be thy name. And the word hallowed means to make holy, to sanctify, to set apart. Now, this doesn't mean that God's name and God himself isn't already holy. God is holy already in himself. God is holiness. And when we say, hallowed be thy name, we're not praying that we should somehow add to the majesty and glory of God. But what it means is that we want God's name, we want God to be recognized for all that He is. In itself, God's name is holy. But in our lives and in our confession and in the life and confession of the church, God's name is not perfectly holy. It has not been perfectly set apart and recognized for all its glory as it ought to be. In the midst of this world, God's name is not being set apart and recognized by all men, recognized for all its glory as it rightfully ought to be and as we want it to be and as it one day will be. So when we pray, hallowed be thy name, we are praying that God would show us who he truly is and that we might be so governed by his own greatness and glory that we set him apart in our lives as the only one whom we are to honor, the only one whom we are to fear, the only one whom we are to trust, and the only one whom we are to adore and love. He is great. He is greatly to be praised. He alone is greatly to be praised. That's what we are praying for in this first petition. And I think when we understand that, then we understand why this petition is first. Because it's all about God. And that needs to be our attitude when we bring all our petitions to God. It's all about God. It's not even first about God's kingdom. It's not even first about God's will. It's certainly not first about my daily bread. Or about even the forgiveness of my sins. Or about my sanctification. 
It's first about the being of God. It's about God himself. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God. Why, why did God create all things? To serve the glory of his name. That's also why we read from Isaiah 43 this morning. Because in Isaiah 43, God is very explicit that this is what everything is about. Verse 21. Isaiah 43, verse 21. This people have I formed for me. They shall show forth my praise. That's why God created us, that we might show his praise. Back in verse 7. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Why did God create us? Why did God recreate you and me in Jesus Christ? For his glory. Why did God predestinate us unto the adoption of sons? That we might be to the praise of his glory. Ephesians 1 verse 4. And by putting this petition first in the Lord's Prayer, that's what Jesus is teaching us to do in our prayers. To make all our desires first about God and His glory. And this was Jesus' own example through His earthly ministry. This is how Jesus prayed. This is what He prayed. John chapter 12, Jesus is in the upper room with His disciples the night before His crucifixion. And He's talking about the sufferings that He must endure the next day on the cross. And he's thinking about his sufferings, and he says this. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. And then what does he say? Father, glorify thy name. You see, that was Jesus' whole life. That was Jesus' prayer. It was his first petition. And that's also why he went to the cross. Because that was the way in which God determined to glorify his name through the life of Jesus Christ. And when God sent Jesus to the cross, God was answering that petition to glorify his own name. Everything Jesus did magnifies the name of God. His incarnation, his earthly ministry, his suffering and death, his resurrection... Every single thing magnifies God because Jesus and all that he is and all that he does is of God. And it's all revealing God. God's wisdom in how he does everything so perfectly. God's power doing what only God can do. God's grace saving a sinful people. God's righteousness providing a righteousness for his people. God's justice and his mercy perfectly meeting together. It's revealing all God's works and his attributes. That's the significance of Jesus' death on the cross. Nothing in all the world, nothing even in creation, displays the greatness and glory of God in the way that Jesus' life and death and resurrection does. When you understand what Jesus did, what God did in Jesus' death and what he accomplished through his resurrection and all the history leading up to it and all the history flowing out of it, even unto life without end in heaven, then you will understand that everything about Jesus magnifies the greatness and glory of God. His power to save. His wisdom to save. How, that he, his mercy to save. All of it magnifies God. And that's why he does it. 
That's why he delivers his people from Egypt. That's why he delivers his people from Babylonian captivity. And he makes a way in the desert and rivers in the wilderness to show forth his praise. That's what he's saying in Isaiah 43. That's why each Sunday I have to preach to you about Jesus' death and resurrection. Not just because this is what you need for your comfort, but this is what you need to hear in order to truly magnify God's name. The beauty of what God accomplished through the cross of Jesus Christ shines out in every single direction. And then every Sunday, we have another occasion to take a a sliver of that that beautiful outshining of, of what God has done, and we see His glory from another angle, a slightly different perspective, and it never gets old. We'll have all eternity to meditate on all the different aspects of the cross of Jesus Christ. It shows us the goodness and greatness and power of God like nothing else. And to get back to prayer, it's very good, practical to begin our prayers with this attitude because the reality is if I fail to pray with God's glory as the chief priority in my life, I'm going to approach God with the wrong view of God himself. I'm not going to appreciate him for who he is. Instead of treating him like the almighty, awesome God that he is, who is worthy, that his name be praised in everything, I will be inclined to begin treating God as a genie in a bottle. Right? I fold my hands, I rub the bottle, God pops out, and he grants me three wishes. And that's what prayer becomes. That's offensive to God. That's not who God is. And then you see, you won't be able to bring any of your petitions properly to God because you're bringing them out of self-interest instead of a desire for the glory of His name. And then God won't be pleased with your prayers either because they're offensive to Him. They will have the wrong motivation. They have as their motivation, first of all, you or me and our concerns rather than God and His glory. Here's the thing we should all understand. And maybe this is the kernel that we can take home. This is what I need to hear too. And and it's so good. Here's the one thing we should all understand. God is for God. God's chief concern is not simply your happiness. God's chief concern is not even your spiritual happiness. God's chief concern is His own glory. And that's the way it ought to be. That is what is right. Because He is holy. He alone is the Holy One. You see, this is something the world simply doesn't understand. This is something false religions simply don't get. Sadly, this is something many Christians fail to appreciate. What do the false religions focus on? They focus on how to get to heaven. Right? How to get to heaven. What does Arminianism focus on? It's the same thing. It focuses on your good works, right? How you can get to heaven. What does much of present-day evangelicalism focus on? And this is even what we're inclined to focus on. It focuses on how God can serve my emotional needs. God just wants me to be happy, doesn't he? That's God's chief concern, isn't it? Then we need to ask... But what is God focused on? 
Yes, God loves his church. She is the apple of his eye. We don't minimize that in the least. But God is for his church and he does all things for her exactly because God is for God. God is for God. And either you are on God's side, you are God's child, and you have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and you see God's worth, his wisdom, his power, and his grace, and you know that you should be for God too. Either you have been filled with the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, and you think the same way Jesus thinks, so that you pray this petition from the heart, and this becomes your first petition, and you are of God's party, and God has taken you to himself and worked this in you, so that you are for the triune God. Either you are for God or you are against God. And you are first for yourself and you haven't seen the glory of God yet and you are living your life in vain. No. In my marriage, God is first. In, in church life, God is first. In my personal struggles against sin, it's not about the consequences. It's not about the shame. It's about God doing what is right before God. And my need to confess sins, to forgive others. God is first. If I don't learn that lesson, my life will be miserable. God will make it miserable. I will feel it to be miserable. I'm not living as I was originally created to live. I'm wasting my life. And I will feel it. We will look back on our lives and we will say, that was a waste. That was a waste living for self. And if you are really stubborn, then you will simply say, there is no God and, and life is a waste anyway. And we should just live as we please, live, eat, drink, be merry, because life means nothing anyway. That, that's how the world encourages itself to live. That's idolatry. That's gross rebellion against the Creator. And it's misery. And when we fall into these paths of thinking, and sometimes we do, when we are praying simply for what we want, what we think we need, and then we never seem to get what we're asking for, it will be miserable because we are focused on ourselves rather than the hallowing of God's name. You know, sometimes that's part of counseling 101. Sometimes that's a word of counseling that we have to bring to ourselves. Not only do I confess that God is in sovereign control of all things, but he is in sovereign control of all things, not first for my happiness, but first for his glory. And my heart needs to be aligned to God's own purposes for my life if I'm going to take any delight in how God is leading me through my life. This life is not my own. It belongs to the Lord. He owns it by virtue of his creation of me, he owns it by virtue of his redemption of me. My life is not first for me. It's first for him. You see, that's the beginning of wisdom, the preacher says. That's the beginning of knowledge. That's the beginning of true happiness. That's the beginning of strength, fearing God. When we learn by the grace of God to have as our chief desire that his name be hallowed and then act accordingly. That's what Jesus is teaching us in this first petition. And here's the interesting thing and the beautiful thing for us as God's people. When we learn to have that attitude, then God also overwhelms us with comforting and encouraging words. 
Words like what we read at the beginning of the chapter. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When you pass through the waters, they will not overflow thee. They, they will not, when you go through the fire, you won't be burned because I'm the Lord your God. You see, the, the glorious comfort for God's people is this. God is for God. God is for his own glory. And this is our blessed reality. That he has been pleased to glorify his name through making us his children and giving us salvation. That's how God's glory and my own eternal comfort go together. God has been pleased to bring glory to his name through showing me his grace. This is my situation in God's eternal decree, bringing all glory to his name, that I should be a vessel of mercy. And God tells us that, and he says, that's not going to change. I will bring glory to my name. I am jealous of my reputation. And blessed are you, Judah, Blessed are you, God's people, because I've chosen to glorify my name through doing a marvelous thing with you, saving you. God says, you are sinners. You are wretched sinners. And then God says, as he says in verse 25, that, that's kind of jarring, verse 24 and verse 25, you've sinned, you've wearied me with your sins. You, you've, you've, you've sacrificed sins to me. That's how you're acting. And then verse 25, God says, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm still going to save you for mine own sake. Verse 25. That's what he is emphasizing in Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43 is full of this. When you go through the deep waters and the fires of life, I will even use those waters and those fires to show you in all the world that I am God, I am faithful, I am powerful, and I am good to my chosen people whom I have chosen to save. Well, this discussion leads us to face another question. When we pray, hallowed be thy name, what are we actually praying for? So we've looked at the priority. We've seen from Isaiah 43 that this is God's own priority, and this is what Jesus is teaching us in the Lord's Prayer. Now, let's look at the content. And we have to be brief here. Let's look again at the words of the Catechism. What's the content? That is, grant us first rightly to know thee. In order to hallow God's name, we need first to know God's name. We need to know God, not just intellectually, although that's part of it, but with a spiritual knowledge, the knowledge of love, knowing God through Jesus Christ. We need to know God. And what that means is that we truly see and recognize God for who He is. That, that we must see Him as the God who performs the wonder, the wonder of creation, the wonder of salvation. He, he performs the wonder of delivering Israel 
out of Egyptian bondage, destroying Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. That's what he says in Isaiah 43. We see him as the God who performs the wonder of parting the Jordan River, who performs wonder after wonder. He's in absolute control of everything. He's bringing everything to pass according to his eternal decree and according to his word. And he is the God who performs the wonder of salvation in Jesus Christ. We don't have time to look at this whole chapter in detail, but the point of the chapter is this. Who is the one doing all of this? Who is the one in control? Who is the one saving Israel? Verse 10. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. I am the only God. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. And when we pray, hallowed be thy name, we are praying that in the midst of all the details of our lives, and when life is busy and stressful, and there are troubles and sorrows, or maybe there are joys and laughter, we are praying that we might know God through it all as the one who is doing it all and doing it all for his glory. And part of what this knowledge involves, of course, is that we know God is doing all of this as our Father, right? That's how the Lord's Prayer starts out. That's the presupposition. That's the, the basis. That's the, the beginning of, of praying. God is our Father. Father, cause me to know who thou truly art as my Father. My Father who is almighty, who is wise, who is good, so that I can trust thee as thou oughtest to be trusted, so that I can submit to thy will as, it, as I ought to submit to thy will, so that I can cheerfully carry my cross, knowing that the one who is in control, the one who's placed this very cross on my shoulders, is my Father who is in heaven. Grant us first rightly to know thee, and then to sanctify thee, set thee apart, glorify thee and praise thee in all thy works in which thy power, right? This is, this is expanding on the name of God. In all thy works, that's God's name, in which thy power, wisdom, goodness, justice, mercy, and truth are clearly, thy name is clearly displayed. And if that prayer comes from our heart, what it means is that we will earnestly come to church on Sunday. We sit under the preaching and we love the preaching. We have a thirst to be in God's word because it's through the preaching and through his word that he causes us to know him by the Holy Spirit. If we're serious about hallowing God's name, if we're serious about it, then it demands other things in our lives. Regular devotions, not as a checklist, but because I want to know him. Because this is my first petition. I want his name to be glorified. So I want to be in his word. Catechism instruction. Children, this is what motivates us as a congregation to have catechism instruction because we want God's name to be hallowed and we want you to hallow his name. Working together as a covenant community, that's what this involves. Notice the language of the catechism and the, the whole presupposition of the, the assumption of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, we pray this together. Notice how the catechism starts out. Grant us. Not grant me, but grant us. And part of the significance there is this. The hallowing of God's name is not something that we're doing on our own. No, it, it's something that takes place with others. 
It's something that we are pursuing together as a covenant community, even as we're praying together as a covenant community. And as a covenant community, this is our chief petition, our first priority. That here, through us, through our children, in our witness, God's name might be hallowed. In the minds of the covenant children, in the instruction they receive, that thy name might be sanctified, glorified, and praised. In our evangelism efforts, our mission labors, in the way we conduct the worship service, the way everything is structured, that God's name be glorified. This is our chief prayer, and everything else falls under this umbrella. That's the first thing, the first part of the content. And then the catechism goes on and says, and further, that we may so order and direct our whole lives our thoughts, words, and actions, that thy name may never be blasphemed, but rather honored and praised on our account. And how we deal with each other in marriage, and how we talk about each other in the church, how we conduct ourselves at work, that thy name may never be blasphemed, but rather honored and praised. When God's people commit sin, that that gives those who are around them an occasion to blaspheme God's name. We're going to look at that tonight. David's lamentable fall and his sin. And and that's something that was said. You've given occasion for the world to blaspheme God's name. What does the Bible say? Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. Why? Why honor your master? That the name of God and his doctrine, his teachings, be not blasphemed. This is what we don't want for God's name to be treated lightly by others. I will carry out the calling God has given me. I will pursue his commandments with all my might. I will so order and direct my whole life, my thoughts, my words, my actions, so that Jehovah's name may never be blasphemed, but rather honored and praised on my account. I know who I am of myself. I've been there, right? The first section of the catechism, my sin and misery. I know the deliverance that I have in Jesus Christ, the complete salvation that is mine. I know how thankful I'm supposed to be. I live in the light of that perspective as a child of God. This is what I want. With my words, my thoughts, my thoughts, my dreams. I remember as a kid, the minister talking about, Lord, sanctify my dreams. I want my whole life to be holy. My actions, because he is worthy. I've seen his glory. I know his works. I know his attributes. What does that mean? What does that mean? Maybe it means you get rid of your Netflix account. Because this isn't honoring God's name. Maybe it means I I find a more productive hobby for myself because the one I have right now is, is just a waste of the gifts and talents God has given me. It might be even sin besides. Maybe it means you radically change how you talk to the ones in your home. You stop yelling at each other. This is not hallowing God's name. Maybe it means pursuing the grace of contentment or the grace of self-control. This is not hallowing God's name, and I want God's name hallowed. Whatever it is, I want God's name to be hallowed by me. That's what we're praying for. And what's the motivation? Well, we've touched on it already. 
The motivation is this. God's name is precious to me. He is my God. He is my Father. He's my Savior. And I love Him. And I know He first loved me. And I'm thankful for who I am as a Christian, that, I, that this is my reality. And He is worthy. He is great and greatly to be praised. And the motivation is also this. I know He will grant this petition. This is a petition He's taught me to pray. And He's not going to teach me to pray what He's not going to give me when I pray it through Jesus Christ. So I'm motivated by that too. I pursue this in prayer because I know God will give it to me. And I know He will answer it in just the way that I need it to be answered. He will work His Holy Spirit in my heart. He will orchestrate all the circumstances of my life. He will supply me with the needed grace so that through the circumstances of my life, in the way He leads me, His name will be hallowed. And for me as a Christian, that's my comfort and that's my joy. That's what I want. Because that's Jesus in me. He is my Father. He is my God. And again, as I said, the great encouragement we have is this. For you, when you pray in this petition seriously in Christ, your great encouragement is this. Your Heavenly Father hears this prayer, and in His abounding grace and goodness, He will also answer it and grant this request. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Use this preaching to shape our hearts and our lives so that even in this way, Thou dost grant us this chief desire of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.